This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. It's a busy schedule at City Hall today. City Council will be meeting for another budget session later on this morning uh, at about 9.30. And uh, there's a, a, a one important thing that I want to talk about that I've talked about, and I know Scott's talked about it on his program, uh, and that is the response to what happened on Saturday night. And I know that immediately on Sunday we had a number of leaders, including Andrea Horvath and Mayor Eisenberger and others, that said, look, we have to show our support for, for Lock Street, and yeah, that's important. But we also need to talk about what happened. And that was the topic of my commentary this morning at 810, is that, look it, there is no excuse for violence. There is no rationalization for violence. And, and you can throw words like gentrification and poverty and, and all that sort of stuff out there, and yeah, they're real issues. They, of course they are. But that does not does not justify the kind of activity that happened on Saturday night. Absolutely not. And those who think it does, and those who support that and lend a sympathetic ear to those people, are part of the problem, not part of the solution. And i got to tell you, as a, as a taxpayer in this community, I'm appalled by the lack of, of a voice that I'm hearing from Hamilton City Councilors about this. No, they're all saying the, the usual stuff. Oh, yeah, we're going to support the business. So let's go to the donut shop. Let's go to the... Yeah, really? Why don't you condemn the violence? Why don't you stand up and take a stand on something like this? Well, Ward 7 Councilor Donna Skelly is going to bring it up at the City Council a little bit later on this morning. And she joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Donna, thank you for the time. I know you're uh, getting set for the meeting, but I want to get a few minutes of your time to talk about what's going to be happening today. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, give me your thoughts about what happened and what you're going to be doing today. Well, I'm going to be presenting a notice of motion. Hopefully, we'll be able to uh, waive the rules and, and vote on it today. And it's because of the response to what I consider an outrage that occurred in our city on uh, this past weekend. There is, as you said, zero excuse, no excuse to condone any form of violence. What happened on Lock Street and has been happening in other parts of our downtown core with businesses being vandalized and people being threatened is inexcusable. There is no gray area. It is unacceptable. It should not be tolerated. And we need to send a very strong, united message to these anarchists to say they are not welcome here and their actions will not be tolerated. Now, there's a policy and there's a procedure thing that I'm, I'm sure that some of your council colleagues are going to try to hang this thing up on, which they tend to do. And, and, and technically, I guess you have to present a notice of motion. You can't really speak about this. But you know, Donna, you've been to council long enough to know that time and time again, if somebody has a pet project, they just rush it through and, oh, God, I want to waive the rules. And they always do. They always do. I, I rarely, if ever, see council say, no, we have to stick to policy and procedure on this. And there, there's a timing element to this. I mean, this just happened. I think we need to hear from council. And we need to have some sort of a declaration from council about this. Well, one of the reasons I'm raising this is because I'm concerned about the co comments from one of my fellow councillors that suggest to me, and it's Councillor Matthew Green, that he is in some way, I won't say condoning it, but he is certainly receptive to discussing the reason for this assault, this unprovoked assault on our citizens with the perpetrators. I say there is no opportunity. We should not give them any sort of a platform. If you want to protest anything, I don't care what it is, if it's gentrification or anything else, 
and you do it in um, reasonably in a law-abiding fashion, go ahead. I will support you 100%. I believe in free speech, and I believe in the right to protest and, and, and to have a, opposing viewpoints. But I will never condone this type of violence, this type of unprovoked assault on hardworking, law-abiding taxpayers and residents of this city. We need to send a very strong, united message to people in this community and abroad that this city will not be hijacked by a bunch of thugs who dislike the fact that we are moving forward and we have a different economic base. We do not leave people behind. We do everything we can in this city to take care of those who don't have the advantages and the privileges of others. We do look out for those who are um, less advantaged. We do spend money, city council money, taxpayer money, on social housing, on social programs. And we have thousands and thousands of volunteers, men and women and young people, who give up their time to help other people. This is a fabulous city. And the image of this city and the narrative of this city and the direction of our growth will not be hijacked by a bunch of thugs who don't want to abide by the rules. There's another element to this, and I talked about this on my commentary. It's on our blog. It's on the, the, the show page now, 900chml.com. People should check it out. I hope they will anyway. Has anybody picked up a dictionary? Any of these people that think that these, these thugs that did this on Saturday deserve a voice? Do you understand what an anarchist is? Do you even know what the word means? It has nothing to do with social injustice. Anarchists want lawlessness. That's, that's what they're all about. They don't choose to build things up. They choose to tear things down. Is that the kind of people you want at the table? They don't deserve a voice. And who, in God's name, anointed them as the voice for people that are, are challenged about homelessness, about poverty, about gentrification? Who the hell are they to think that they can speak on behalf of those, those people? <laughs> Exactly. And they just simply want an end to capitalism. They, they want uh, people who own businesses to be targeted and to uh, forfeit any sort of a profit. It's, it's unbelievable and it's unrealistic. And as a society, we have got to stop accepting this type of, of activity, of, um, of messaging. This is unacceptable. Well, you know what, and I want my elected officials, whether it's at the municipal, federal, or, or provincial level, I want them to stand up and I want them to take a stand on this, one or another. And if they still think after all this that these people still deserve a voice and they still deserve some sympathy, then stand up and be accountable for that too. I mean, we had another person on council, and it was Aiden Johnson from Ward 1 in this area here that was on our sister station on, in Toronto on Monday telling what a great idea this anarchist book fair was. No, it's a fabulous thing. Are you kidding me? Joe Warmington from The Sun went over there on Sunday, and I, I'm sure you heard the interview on our show on Monday. And, I mean, it, it was not a book fair. It was, it was basically, it was here's how to, to tear things apart. Here's how to do marches. Here's how to cause insurrection. And, and you had a, a member of Hamilton City Council saying this was a good idea. I got, we've got the tape from our sister station, AM 640 in Toronto, with him going on. I mean, I want my council to stand up, and I want them to take a stand on this. We have to take a stand, and we cannot. And I think it's important, and perhaps this motion will, will um, allow council to take a stand and be shown as people who will not tolerate any form of uh, assault, unprovoked assault on our citizens and our business community. 
people in this, Hamilton is a phenomenal place. It is the best city in this province, in this country, to be able to be fortunate enough, enough to raise a family, to live, to operate a business. And to have these these people come in, and I'm not sure all of them are from Hamilton, quite frankly, to come in and change the narrative and to change the image of our city. We are a good people, and we do a lot, as I've said. We spend millions of dollars and thousands of hours volunteering to take care of people who don't have the opportunities that we have. We, we are a good city. Donna, Don't listen, let, let, let's, let's look at a scorecard here. And and I'm not going to hold this up and say, hey, we are the best city for all of this stuff. Well, we're pretty darn but, good. But this is a city council that just, and I, I'm one of the biggest critics on council when I think you screw things up, but this is a city that dedicated millions of dollars to a housing initiative and to affordable housing. Yeah. All right, a lot of money, a lot more than most other cities do. This is a city that is part of the fair wage pilot project for the province of Ontario. As a matter of fact, Lock Street merchants, a number of them, are advocates for and pioneers in establishing fair wage policies for their employees. So I, I'm looking at this and saying, yeah, we still have a lot of problems, but we're working on it. We're dealing with it. Uh, I, I can't understand. There is no justification why they'd choose Hamilton and especially Lock Street as a target for this. It, it has nothing to do with social injustice. And don't be so naive as to actually believe that, that crap when they start talking about this. This was just about insurrection. You're right. And again, I think it's important for council to stand united against this type of activity, against this, this, um, these illegal actions. We should not be tolerating it, and we have to come out with a very loud, united voice saying this type of activity will not be tolerated in the city of Hamilton. We have to do this, we have to do it immediately, and we have to have a, send a very strong message. And I'm hoping that I can get a, a unanimous support of this motion. Well, there are two things that I'm, I'm going to be watching for, and it, it'll happen later in the meeting, I'm sure, because you do have an agenda to follow, I get that. But, but two things, first of all, I want to see the council allow this to happen. I don't want them to get on some procedural, uh, you know, left turn here and say, well, no, we have to do this properly. You have notice of motion. Wave that rule. Get this thing on the table right now. And I want council to take a stand on this. And Donna, they've done it in the past. When there was a problem here with U.S. Steel, they, they passed motions about going to Pittsburgh and everything else. This is a public safety issue. It is, and I'm hearing rumors. I've been receiving comments about other streets in the city, other business communities that are going to be targeted. Yeah, and I'm not even going to mention what they are, but I mean, I've, I've seen some of that same information. I don't know how, whether it's legitimate or not, but the fact is, is we have a concern right now, and I've heard from a number of residents, and, and I'm sure that you have as well, that are very much concerned about this. So you're going to meet a couple of people in just a few minutes. You're going to be in your meeting, but uh, we're going to talk with Matt Cowan from uh, the Heather Restaurant downtown in Barton, Bill Curran and, and Krista Boyer. And they're going to tell you what they've had to go through, not mm -hmm. just on Saturday night, but for the last couple of years. And what's unfortunate is that people who are simply trying to get ahead to uh, work hard and, and play by the rules and, and put a few dollars aside to take their family on vacation or to have a better life for themselves and their families are being punished. They have to apologize for being successful. What happened to society that we now apologize for success where did it fall off the rails? And we need to push back. There's nothing wrong with having a successful business. When I grew up, that's what we strive to achieve. But now we have to be ashamed of it? No, we don't. No, we don't. And we need to make sure that this community stands against that. We want success because success means that there will be people working, making a living, making a good living. 
the people, the small businesses in this community give back. They hire people, they provide good jobs, and they give back to their communities. And they should never, ever, ever have to apologize for success. I applaud them for their hard work, and I will stand behind them and applaud them for their success. And never, ever do we, should we ever send a message to people who live in this community who are are considering moving to this community to operate a business that they are unwelcome. They should be proud of what they've achieved, and we want more people to come in and invest in this community, and we want to support them and stand by them. All right, now, you're, of, so you're going to present this motion, all right? Yeah. And, and I, as all motions are, it's uh, whereas, 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 and I know mm-hmm. you're going to reference the, 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 what happened to this, but my understanding, and just get right to the meat of it there, therefore be it resolved, this has nothing at all to do with gentrification or poverty. We know that those are real issues, and they're being dealt with as, as best counsel can. Uh, and there's always room for improvement, but this is about violence. This, this, that's the crux of what you're talking about today. We want to publicly condemn the recent acts of violence against our citizens and our business community, and we want to stand united against those who perpetrate violence. We want to send a strong message that we will continue to work with our community partners and our police to prevent further actions and to identify the offenders who took part in this violence. We will not tolerate any unprovoked action against a person in this community, full stop. All right, and what I want our listeners to understand, and and hopefully the other people around that council table, is I can't understand why anybody who is acting in as an elected official representing the best interests of this city will not, first of all, allow that to be presented today, and secondly, must support it. And anybody who speaks against this even on a procedural basis, you know damn well why they're going to do it procedurally, because they don't want to have to vote on it. I want to know who they are. So let's we'll talk about this later on. I'm going to be fascinated to see what kind of a re- response and reaction you're going to get from your council colleagues today. Well, perhaps we should have a standard recorded vote. Oh, they like doing that. That'll be a good idea. (laughs) Donna, thanks for this. Uh, Good luck. I'll certainly be in touch with you, and we'll be following the meeting. Uh, Of course, uh, Ken Mann will be covering the meeting for us here in CHML, and uh, we'll find out exactly how your council colleagues respond for this. But thanks for taking the initiative, and thanks for the time today. Thanks, Bill, and thank you for for speaking out. We really need to speak out. We have to quit. um, We have to stop being afraid of the pushback from people in this community who have hijacked um, you know, the messaging, and, and, uh, and, and we need to stand united and well, say you have a home in this community. Yeah, if you have ideals, it's about time you stood up for them. And I think I that's what we need to do, and we need to hear more of those voices. Thanks, Donna. Thank you. Donna Skelly, Ward 7 Councilor, who's going to be presenting that motion today at a committee meeting. Uh, and like I say, I'm very, very interested to see just how council responds to that, because that's going to tell you an awful lot about the people and the character of the people around that table. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. It's uh, time for the Chief's Town Hall. Uh, Chief of Police Eric Gert is with us here in studio. Uh, you guys know the drill. We do this every month, of course. The Chief comes in here. Uh, good to see you again, Chief. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me on, Bill, and obviously, uh, you know, lots of hot topics today. All right, I want to talk about Lock Street specifically in a couple of minutes, but uh, you were uh, in, in the other studio, in the, in the green room, in the waiting room here, listening to our last guest, Krista Boyer and to Bill Curran. Uh, who have some very legitimate concerns about uh, about vandalism and about the activities of certain individuals. And and I think you got a sense, Chief, of the frustration that both of them were feeling on behalf of some of the other merchants about uh, some of the, well, vandalism that's happening, not just on Lock Street, but we're talking about many other areas. Uh, Barton Street, i got a list here of about 15 uh, different incidences uh, here. Uh, a butcher and Vegan Restaurant, uh, Door Smash, the Heather Restaurant, uh, Windows Damaged, uh, they have the restaurants again, suspicious internet postings, 
uh, the Tri Hamilton event. You know most of these already. I think they're familiar to you. And I'm, but the concern here is, and again, the characterization that we're hearing from from some of these concerned citizens is uh, police aren't doing anything about it. Uh, they're not responding. They're not making arrests. How do, how do you respond to those sorts of, of statements and accusations? Yeah, that's about four different topics there. But uh, let's just start with the vandalism and graffiti. Um, you know, we've been approached this for many, many years, and you, you, we know from the research that for graffiti, the best way to eradicate it is to uh, eliminate it, in other words, remove it. Uh, I know that when Deputy Leanderts was here, uh, he really led the charge on working with bylaw, working with the city to uh, remove that graffiti. And I just made some inquiries this, uh, you know, this week. Um, I've been noticing a proliferation as well. It's, uh, and you can see from the uh, footage that we saw in the news the other night with a guy on Ottawa Street ducking in and out and spray painting, they can create a lot of damage in a very short span of time. Uh, we have had prosecutions, in fact, criminal prosecutions. This is not a nuisance offense. This is mischief. We have had people incarcerated for these offenses and vandalism. So that is our approach. It's not that we take it as a nuisance and that it's, it's not important. It's very important. When you look at the optics around the impact of graffiti, uh, really what the impression is that nobody really cares about the space. Well, we know that they do. And whether it's broken windows or graffiti, they're both important uh, in terms of, you certainly recall from New York City, the whole broken windows theory, which is the same articulation. You look after the smaller stuff, the bigger stuff tends to get sorted out as well. So, no, we do take it seriously. Um, the remarking uh, or elimination of that graffiti is also very important. The city has responsibilities for that. And yes, we created legislation where if it's not removed in a timely fashion, then uh, for the owner of the premise, they will we'll remove it, the city, and they'll be charged for it. And I get that. It's it, I get that it's kind of this double victimization. One, they didn't spray paint it themselves. And then two, they have to pay for the cost of removal. But that's a bylaw. Correct. In the broader picture. You, you don't pictures, pass bylaws. Well, we don't. You enforce them. Well, not even bylaws. Well, but correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but obviously we want the reporting. We have prosecuted individuals for this offense. If you remember, Pac-Man was extremely prolific uh, for a long time. I, I can't believe the number of places he marked. We're talking about the Bruce Trail, talking about bridges and abutments, uh, personal property, homeowner's property, commercial properties. Um, you know, it's, it's an illness in my view, people who have to do this uh, demarcation. Uh, we've even gone, and you see with the post boxes, they included all the um, postal codes as a method to not have post boxes sprayed with graffiti. Uh, we've worked with the arts community to play, uh, to put a safe place up for those who want to be artists, and Beasley Park is one of them. Uh, so through the years, this is not a new issue, the graffiti piece. Uh, our stance is yes, it's a criminal offense. Yes, we will investigate. And of course, you know, we've got time and space. Some of these events were three, four years ago. Some are recent. Um, to make a thread of causal connection, again, we can't rely on reasonable suspicion for prosecution of but, but do you investigate those concerns? Sure. But we have to we have to have reasonable grounds. I, I mean, I'm looking at some of these things here, and I, 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 unfortunately, like I say, we had uh, reached out to Matt Cowan from the Heather, the restaurant down on Barton Street, and uh, Matt initially had planned to come in here and, and couldn't, unfortunately, because he's, he's running a business. Yep. And I think we can all understand that and, and, and understand why, where he's coming from. But there have been a number of incidences here where uh, suspicious internet posting, where he feels he's being threatened right. uh, uh, and getting damaging. Obviously, there's the damage to his property itself. Uh, people aren't going to go to stores and they're not going to go to restaurants that are continually being targeted like this because they're going to feel unsafe. Uh, and I believe that's the message they're trying to get across to police that, look at, I, if, if people don't feel safe going down Barton Street, 
that's that's going to kill Barton Street. And there are some people that probably want that to happen. I know you don't, and I know your your officers don't. But how do you, and what role do police play in making sure that doesn't happen? And you mentioned earlier with the CPC Center and Concession Street, we've also dedicated a walking officer to the Barton Street area. And that made Street. a huge difference. You, remember, you were there, Understood. of course, when we did the community yes. policing station there, and yep. it made a, a huge difference to the concern that yep. the neighbors had and the residents had there. And let's just look at the action strategy. That was deployment in the downtown core. And what we've seen, I mean, we're not taking a single, um, you know, uh, credit for changing some of the optics of fear of crime. This is a continuing issue. Uh, But we've deployed the action strategy in those areas where we have these kind of fences, and they're visible and present. Um, relative to the whole incident on Lock Street, yeah, let's let's okay. I, you want to wait for that one? With the vandalism, okay. No, l- let me get into Lock Street sure. because I I, I want to get some calls on here. Obviously, a lot of folks want to talk to you about this, but I want you to walk us through procedure because a lot of people had a lot of questions yep. about how the police responded. Uh, Krista Boyer in the last segment, I'm sure you heard asking, uh, the you know why weren't police prepared for something like this? This what they contended didn't come out of the blue that there were warning signs that something could have happened. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that and, 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 and about being proactive on Saturday night when the call started to come in and it started in the Duran neighborhood and walk us through what happened there and, and eventually the, the culmination on lock. Sure. Let, let's back up a bit because the preventative piece, we do, um, uh, dozens and dozens of demonstrations a year. Uh, we prepare for that, whether we have our action or our MPU, potentially our public order unit. And of course, you won't see them usually uh, because we're not into uh, kind of a very high visible presence. If we know there's going to be violence, then of course, we'll deploy. Uh, probably the best examples are G20. And they had, you know, they had dozens and dozens of officers. They still had vandalism. They still had those things. That's in a demonstration. This was not a demonstration. Yes, we monitor the sites to look for intelligence on these type of events. And in fact, this isn't the only one. There's all kinds of other events that happen that we're proactive. Where we can reach out and contact those people, we will. Um, some are responsive, some are not. In this case, this wasn't a demonstration. And yes, we were monitoring the event. Uh, now, Duran neighborhood, we have a group. We, this comes in as a uh, spray painting incident. Two officers respond. Uh, they're greeted by a number of people. Some flee into the, the back area. Of course, it's 10 o'clock at was, night. Was there a confrontation when the two officers arrived on Durant, at Durant? With some of the people, some fled. Others approached us and threw rocks. Well, that's an unusual circumstance. So, so how does how, what's the next step then? Well, and we've talked about this. Do you wade into a group of 20 to 30 people? who have now demonstrated a propensity. Technically, it's uh, it's an assault with a weapon when you pick up a stone. And if you get struck with a stone, you can be knocked unconscious. Um, and, you know, is there a firearm present potentially with these people? Well, it's kind of immaterial because we'll have a firearm present because we bring one. If I'm unconscious and can't get my firearm, that means somebody else can. These are all decisions with regard to use of force continuum that our officers make at the time. Obviously, what they did is call for backup. In the interim, the people fled. What I think is a misinformation is people think they then marched down from Durand Park in an orderly group of 30 people or disorderly group en masse. Well, that's not the way it happened. What what, what did happen? Then they reconvened. Because I've heard that characterization as well. Correct, which is not accurate. Then they reconvened at a different point, not Durand, because that's actually uh, east of Bay Street. 
uh, they reconvened by Aberdeen and Queen. So we get the call. Um, our duty officer is notified, and you've heard him speak, Inspector Hamilton. He was on the show. He was with Scott Monday, yeah. Correct. So keep in mind, again, this is a, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night. Our calls for service, we're doing a whole range of calls. He marshals in basically 19 minutes for a response. 30 officers from all three divisions. So you may have an officer up in the mountain, and depending on the geography, it takes some time to get down. Certainly, I don't want anybody doing 150K down Upper James, getting a T-bone collision, somebody's dead. They still have to be prudent in how they get there in, in short order. They marshaled action officers. They marshaled our ERU, our K-9, um, also from the three divisions. So we had 30 officers. Um, quite frankly, that's a fairly quick response. The expectation is, oh, you had the public order unit. That's in demonstrations and we will have that. This is regular business on a Saturday night with all the other calls for service, domestics, disturbances, uh, overdoses, whatever is going on. And it's a busy time. We know that. So he marshals the troops, deploys them. Uh, part of his direction, and he's talked about it, is don't be pursuing singly a group of five to ten people into a backyard. Uh, it's usually not a good idea at any time. Uh, we will approach them. And as he said, um, when they started to go down the street, uh, this group of people dispersed very quickly off to Pine Street. Uh, they had smoke grenades to conceal their identities. Um, whether it's black block or not. Wait, let me ask you just a second, Chief. I want to back up just a second. As, as you're marshalling those people to go to that area, okay, uh, uh, under the direction of, of the, the duty officer, we're told that that group was reassembling at the top of Lock, at Lock and Aberdeen. All right? No, uh, no, they'd already headed down, and they didn't, like, march by us. But we're talking, there's a group Correct. of 30, so it wasn't yes. five or six people. It was a group Correct. of 30 people. Correct. Were there no officers at, at that point there that identified that and said, hey, wait a minute, this is bigger than we thought? Well, no, we knew that it was a larger group from the, the information that we had. Because it's a long distance from Aberdeen down to Pine. Correct. But you've got to have the response time, get those officers from the area, have the sufficient response. And when you look at um, the inquiries that have happened, both with uh, disturbances, let's say Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, part of the aftermath is, did you apply the requisite force and did you apply it? In, now, we've talked about gradual application of force. You don't just wildly chase people down the street. You don't know. The other thing that people are not talking about is often these groups will do a secondary and tertiary uh, approach. So they may have other uh, areas in the city that they're thinking of. Do it as a small distraction or you deploy in a number of areas. So as the duty officers marshalling their resources, they have to be cognizant of this. You still have all the other calls of service going on, but obviously you have a situation, and this could be any situation. You could have um, a post-game celebrations where a bar emerges to get in the bar fight and this spills onto the street, all that type of stuff. This is a deliberate act by these people with cognition about how we respond. Obviously, uh, they are disguised. They come prepared. They have the black clothing. So uh, we talked about a little earlier after the show, if I see people at at nine o'clock, and they're just walking down the street and they have backpacks. What's my authority to walk up to them, ask them what they have in their backpack? Virtually none anymore because of this new legislation. I mean, I'll answer that for you. I mean, police, I, I, and I've heard from a number of frontline officers, have told me how frustrated they are right now because they're not being allowed to do their jobs. Uh, and, and that may be a characterization that makes some people feel uneasy. Um, too bad. Uh, the fact is, 
maybe this could have been prevented if officers have been able to go up to Durand and say, wait a second, what are you guys up to? But right now, if they do that, I, I think they'd probably be outside of the boundaries that were set down by the Attorney General a couple of months ago. Well, they have been. And I mean, operating off suspicion is not grounds. You have to legally articulate why you're doing. You have to have lawful authority to do what you're doing. So much the same where we have this event, you know about and we know about all the post-analysis where people are either killed or injured, and then they say, well, police, you, you knew you could have done uh, these other options. Why did you escalate this situation? And I'm not belittling this, the broken glass, the trauma to victims, whether they're present or even vicarious trauma, where you think, oh my God, this is happening in my neighborhood. This is a significant event. That's, I mean, understatement. Everybody knows that. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're broken windows. We don't have any injuries to anybody that we're aware of. And uh, yes, would we have liked to? And we will, 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 will we pursue these people? We certainly will. But we have to investigatively. We have to follow the law. We don't just to get to go, um, you know, to the book fair and start yanking stuff off. We have to have reasonable grounds to do what we're doing. Uh, so we're following that path investigatively. I know that's tortuous for some people, but they're legal requirements. Yeah, and, and listen, this isn't a, a TV movie. I mean, you know, you don't want, uh, you know, Chuck Norris boring down the street there, taking these guys on. That doesn't happen in real life. I get that. And and I've listened, and I'm concerned, and, and you know, we're going to be down on Lock Street on Saturday to, to talk to the residents and, and the businesses down there. And, and I'm disgusted by the behavior, and I, I've been on the record about that. But for those people that are saying, well, the cops didn't do this, the cops didn't do that, you know what? You get the kind of policing you, you deserve and be pay for. I mean, these are the same, some of the same people that were calling and complaining about police inactivity are the same ones that were calling me a year and a half ago and saying, I don't want that cop saying that. I don't want them stopping me. I don't want them confronting them. Well, they've changed the rules now for police. That's province-wide. It's not just here in Hamilton. And uh, I think you saw a blatant example of how they, this system can work against you sometimes, too. And I'm not suggesting that they wanted to go in there and crash heads, although I'm, you know, I'm sure some people might want to have seen that happen. So I, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to what you're saying here, Chief. You guys are damned if you do, damned if you don't. Well, and again, I mean, our, you know, regardless of that, because that's just the case, uh, we are interested in public safety. We're interested in public order. But we also, because of all the inquests, all the inquiries, all the post-analysis, uh, we actually govern that in terms of our response to measured response. And when we apply that force, it has to be articulable. We have to be able to defend that case. Um, really, we disperse this crowd in very short order. Keeping in mind, and again, I emphasize, this is not a demonstration. This was a group of individuals acting for criminal purpose with the intent to raise fear in the community. It was a deliberate act. It was certainly not spontaneous. If you come prepared with smoke grenades, fireworks, black clothing, you get to your destination where you disperse and, uh, you know, activate a smoke grenade so people can't see you. You have multiple layers of clothing. These are the tactics they're using. We've seen it at G20. Uh, where they'll actually put banners up around themselves. They were in regular clothing. They put on the black clothing, go cause disorder, and then quickly peel that off and blend in with the crowd again. So these are deliberate tactics. Um, they're trying to achieve this, and this is what's going on. All right, we have to do a break. Uh, a lot of folks jumping on the phones, and we're going to get to your calls right after we do a break here. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Chief's Town Hall, Chief of Police Eric Gert is with us here in studio Obviously, Lock Street uh, will be the topic of conversation, I know, for many of you. Listen, one other question, Chief, before we get to your phone calls and e emails and tweets. Uh, 
you said uh, that you obviously you have people that look into things like this, groups of interest, and and to go back to the earlier discussion about vandalism, etc. Uh, I'll, I'll throw a phrase out at you that I think is very apt here: the usual suspects. Uh, you had this anarchist book fair, and I'll use the term loosely, right across the road here at Westdale this past weekend. Uh, you know about a, a, a location here in town where people of this ilk are known to hang out a lot. Do you monitor that? Do you understand what's going on there? What's what's the police role there? Yeah, the short version without any details is yes. Yeah. And, and again, we did not have uh, pre-information about this event. And we do know, and it's obviously part of the investigation. Uh, they're also strategic in what how they're transmitting. So whether we're monitoring social media or things like that, uh, where we're dealing with these groups who are intentional, this is not demonstrations, intentionally going out to cr- commit a criminal act, they have also learned uh, both the legal requirements but also how not to expose themselves usually uh, well ahead of time. So had we had a uh, previous exposure to the earlier comments, yes, we do marshal and yes, we do prepare on a regular basis, whether it's a, uh, you know, it's a public order unit or action or MPU, we do this on an ongoing basis. This was not uh, a demonstration. And yes, they've had a book fair there for years. Um, but you know, did we have any violent acts that occurred there? Not to date. Do we have other events happening in the city? Certainly. Are we paying attention to links and can we establish beyond suspicion again? Can we establish with reasonable grounds? And if we're in a position to make arrests, we'll do that. Just like the, the, uh, uh, the graffiti we were talking about earlier, to get somebody in the act, um, it does happen, uh, but often, uh, and it's complacency sometimes, not blaming them, uh, from certain members of, oh, that's just what happened. Well, no, it's not. And I agree with the shop owners when they say, call it and report it, particularly where it's in in, uh, so, in action. It's a mischief. So so you they, they were known, and there is some, some tracking that goes on. Let's get to your emails, phone calls here. Uh, on email, bkelly at 900chml.com. Alexis writes, I'm all for lawful public protest, and I don't appreciate of police taking a heavy hand with legitimate protesters. But isn't there a line drawn when those assembling are completely covering their identities with balaclavas? Uh, appreciate the email, Alexis. I think what she's referring to is even that initial uh, confrontation yep. at Durand Park. I mean, yep. if these people are covered up and they have their faces covered. Yep. Now, that's it's not illegal to cover your face. I get that. And it's Correct. not illegal to be an anarchist. Correct. But when they start throwing rocks, have they not crossed a line? They have. And that's the dif- dif- difference. It's an unlawful assembly. Uh, for that purpose, and that's the criteria in the in the Supreme Court as well in the decisions. If you're acting for a criminal purpose, then it takes on that hue. If you're walking down the street to your point and you have a a mask over your head and dressed in black, that in and of itself is not an offense. However, again, back to our start of this incident, Strand Park. There's some that are black uh, in garb and and covered up and throwing rocks. Others are uh, fleeing off into the uh, the darkness. And then they reconvene at Aberdeen and Queen. We get the call. We respond accordingly at that point. Then you, you, the whole point is, do you even know what you've got at the outset? Obviously, in retrospect, we know what happened. But did you know all the way along? We have to go on the facts you have in front of you. To your phone call, 645-3221, star 9900 for Chief of Police Eric Gerd. Vic, you, uh, thanks for holding on, Vic. Go ahead. You're first up today. Hi, Vic. Hello. Go ahead, Hi. Vic. You're on the air with the Chief. Hi, uh... I just like to say to the chief, uh, I'm uh, uh, side with the police. Uh, thank you very much for not intervening for their safety because they have a family to go home to, uh, too. Uh, but um, what I want to get to is I agree with uh, Matthew Green. We have a lot more things to worry about than Lock Street. It seems like downtown, downtown, downtown. I live on the mountain, and I didn't see anybody jumping on the bandwagon when from right over at Hester Arena, 
right over to West 5th by my neighborhood a few years back. There was 38 to 48 vehicles, all their windows smashed out, and I didn't see anybody jumping on the bandwagon over that. But it's just downtown, either Lock Street or James Street, Lock Street or James Street. And just uh, tell your officers to be careful of the merchants and the people down there because I got a funny feeling they're going to try something with the police because uh, they're going to be upset with the police. And just tell them to be safe. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for the call. And just in regard to that, we do know that anarchists are anti-police, anti-establishment. Um, it's not about whether we agree with that or not. It's about a measured response to what presents in front of us. And to your point, at the end of the day, if we do not have injuries, yes, that's a goal. Would I like to have had a number of people in custody? Certainly. Uh, We want to hold them accountable as well, and we are continuing those investigations. And we're certainly alive to the issue about would they reappear at any certain point in time? Definitely. So much like we've got a response from the community now, any of those indications that you have, uh, we want to know about. And often those little tips are what... uh, uh, click us into what might be happening or the potential. Um, that didn't happen in this case, and I certainly would have appreciated it, uh, as would uh, certainly the merchants and all the people down in the Lock Street neighborhood. Relative to your comments, and we've had a mixed variety of comments on the application of force. Some believe uh, we should have waited in at our own risk or at the public's risk. Others say, no, uh, you probably learned from uh, past experience where things went from broken windows to people with uh, either broken bones or potentially death. Um, These are all things on a daily basis, whether we're dealing with people with mental health issues, whether we're dealing at calls, barricaded persons. uh, The use of force continuum applies to all those. So it's not just this specific event. We have to be uh, thoughtful about how we apply that force, and we're certainly held to account for it. 905-645-3221, start 9900. Dave, you're next on the Bill Kelly Show. Go ahead for Chief Gerd, Dave. Hi, Chief. Uh, Morning, Bill. Um, Morning. I've been in the city all my life, and I I hope you realize the outrage by all citizens out there. Now, this was an attack on everybody, not just Lock Street. And um, I hope that the Chief feels that these guys have finally crossed the line, and I hope Council feels that they finally crossed the line and they'll do something about it now. Um... I am very disappointed in council. Uh, very disappointed. There's nothing, not not too much noise coming out of there. Uh, as far as that goes, Chief, I'm not critical of anything you guys done, but I really hope you guys will um, see this as a very serious threat to our city. We do, and it's not just this group. It's other potential groups that engage in this kind of conduct. And to your point, this is not, and I said it at the outset, it's not a demonstration. This is a criminal act perpetrated by a group of individuals to generate fear, to commit criminal acts. Is it possible somebody could get cut with broken glass? Certainly. Um, Again, our application of force was to disperse them quickly. That did work. Uh, Would I have liked to have people in custody? Definitely. As a Hamiltonian, um, you know, my own emotional response, well, uh, I'm not paid to, you know, offer up my opinions, uh, but we have, we're governed by the rule of law in this society. And, you know, we even had some interactions at the Lock Street meeting um, were you to engage in similar chaotic kind of approach to people in street justice, um, it's usually not a good outcome and it just escalates things. So yes, hold them to count. Yes, hold them to count in the courts. To your comment, I think we're all outraged by this. You know, it's interesting about this. This happened on Saturday and here we are the following Thursday. Uh, those who support what happened, or at least are, are standing back and being apathetic to it, and, and sadly there's some community voices that are doing that, uh, claim that this is all about uh, standing up for the poor and the, and the disenfranchised. I haven't heard from any of those groups that said, yeah, these, these people speak for me. 
and and as I mentioned earlier in, in the show here, I mean by definition, anarchists are people that are are advocating lawlessness and and nihilism, and uh, <laughs> that's not what we're all about, and that's that's not how communities are supposed to be. Uh, it's rather interesting, but uh, I, I'm glad and to actually to see that more and more people are starting to to understand exactly what went on. Um, you know, to our caller a few minutes ago that said, "I'm glad you guys didn't intercede because those 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 terrorists and those thugs had homes to go to." Well, they shouldn't have been there in the first place. Uh, it's not against the law to be an anarchist, uh, even if you disagree with that that kind of thinking. It's not even against the law to walk down Lock Street with your face covered up. But the minute you pick up a rock and throw it, you're a criminal. All right, you're not a protester, you're a thug, you're a criminal, and you need to be prosecuted. Back to your calls, 645-3221, star 9900. Jen, you're on the Bill Keller Show on CHML. Hi, Jen. Hey, Bill. You put me in at a perfect time because I was wondering what question I was going to ask while I was sitting here. And to Eric's credit, Chief, um, it takes quite candor to sit on a radio show and allow the public to ask you questions without being briefed or anything like that and you should be credited for that kind of transparency i just want to say that um i think my question then is and what you said was these are now criminals so the minute they throw a rock they're criminals what happened to the pursuit of the criminal right so we're talking a lot about what the attorney general said and you know protections under the charter and search and seizure and all these kind of things and this is what prevented you from this and that and so on and so forth but all that went out the window the minute the rock was thrown so can you explain to your listeners and to me because what i don't understand is when the rock was thrown at durand were you not then circling with many officers looking for a criminal who had committed an assault like that's an assault with a weapon, right? Yep. So where did you go? Where did, did you just leave and then no, come no. back to Queen when you got the next call? Because in my estimation, when somebody commits an indictable offense and then runs away, the police don't go, oh, well, darn, they ran away. Let's just all go home. They, You should have still been in the area. It's a relatively small area. So maybe you can explain where you were and did being spread too thin come into play here? Great question, Jen. I'm going to let you go and let you listen to it on the radio. Thanks for calling in. Sure. Yeah, okay. very very fair questions, and yes, we're still pursuing the criminal investigation relative to, uh, you know, the Spectator published a, a, a small map here. I think it was on Tuesday. Uh, yep, Tuesday. And what you can see is, and, and Bill and I discussed this off camera, uh, we now know they, they were headed for Lock Street, but we didn't know at the time when you have this gathering of people in a park whether, where they were going or what their intent was. So really, if I was to uh, be a betting person at the time, I'd be probably figuring downtown along Bay Street uh, if you're going to reconvene and uh, target some of the more commercial buildings. Now, that's not what happened. Uh, But again, uh, you know, in the whole use of force continuum, uh, and they talked about and they've added it, this is years back, is disengagement. Well, that's not total disengagement. It's relative to the circumstances. So to wade into a group, we're armed with rocks and obviously have demonstrated that capacity. And I've talked about it. You know, could I legally articulate if I was at the scene? And I'm not going to guess what I would do. Uh, but could I legally articulate if somebody's going to beam me in the head with a stone that I have the, and the appropriate response, just so you know, is to draw a firearm. It's not taser. It's not a baton. Again, depending on the circumstances and how many people are present. Uh, but now we have somebody shot as a result. And we've seen those type of outcomes in other public demonstrations. And then the courts say, well, officer, did you have another uh, opportunity here? Um, so these are all the things we gauged. But I think, I, think one no, of the things, I think one of the things Jen was asking yeah. here is, was there a physical pursuit? Once they started to, to dissipate and move off in whatever direction they moved, 
did the officers follow them at any point or did did, did yeah. you become disengaged no no they didn't disengage and, and to pursue into the darkness through a park and run through backyards that's a whole other and I, you know i've been involved in foot pursuits we actually have training on foot pursuits uh, because uh, you know whether you end up over a culvert or all those other type of things or the person does and we've had siu inquiries about that if you recall in niagara falls where a youth was pursued he ends up leaping over the fence and then they you know look at the officer's implications about uh he should have known that the youth if he was pursued, would fall off the edge of the cliff. And you're kind of like, wow. Uh, these are the type of inquiries you face. To your earlier point about the criminal investigation, no, we didn't disengage, but the officers did ask for backup. And then with the recent information about uh, a crowd gathering, that's when it went to the duty officer. That's when we marshaled the size of resources that we did is again, okay, but to, 30 officers. Again, to that point, though, Chief, and, yep. I, and just, again, we just want to gain some clarity here. Yep. The two officers that responded to Durand yep. uh, asked for backup, and I understand it doesn't immediately come. Uh, that's that's the reality. Where where did those two officers go? When the, the crowd started to move away, they ran away, uh, did those officers stay at Durand? Did they try to follow? What what what, what were the actions of those two? And I don't have the specific um, from those officers' account. Um, but, you know, but there was no, no direct pursuit, though. Well, not into uh, a gathering of 30 people in the dark in a park. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that at any time. Uh, would I keep in the area and have a lookout while I'm waiting for my backup? Certainly. Um, and they could have pursued in many, or they could have um, fled in many directions. That's kind of my point of where would they reconvene. They, they obviously, you know now in hindsight, they had a plan. Sure. To reassemble someplace yeah, else. They know where they're going to reconvene, but we don't. And, you know, are they going to... Because I, I got to tell you, if that, uh, for those that don't know where Duran Park is, it's only a block away from St. Joe's Hospital. I would have guessed from there they were going downtown, not to Lock Street. I mean, that seems like an unlikely target to go all the way to Lock, but clearly they already knew what they were going to do. Yeah, and again, we've had training on perimeter control. When you have people fleeing a scene, how does that work? Where you generally set up a quadrant and you have to establish within whether they're running or driving, what distance they cover in that time. How do you get that perimeter established? And then usually you would have canine officers come. Anytime we have, that could be a bailout from a, a stolen auto. That could be a foot pursuit. That all takes time to establish that perimeter and then have usually a dog come in and track the direction. So, I mean, again, I, I get it from a public perception that they should just get out of their cars and run into a crowd of 30 people. I don't know that I'd recommend that. And then back to what information we had at the time. Now we do have a group coalescing, and then we responded with, we're going to need more resources, and that takes some time to get it together. Bill Kelly Show, CHML with Chief of Police, Eric Gert. Back to your phone calls. Uh, to Tom, thanks for holding on, Tom. Go ahead. My pleasure. Thank you, Bill. And, Chief, thank you for taking the questions, as the caller indicated earlier. Um, shows a lot of faith on your part as well. I've got a two-part question. I'll make it quick and I'll hang up. Um, you made reference to the fact that if, if an officer engaged a weapon and got hit with a rock, that they could lose that weapon. It could be turned against them or an innocent party. That could happen either way, whether they engaged it or not. They could be knocked unconscious with a rock and their weapon taken from them. Okay? That's true. Okay? So the second part of that is, what if someone was hurt? What if my son or my daughter was down there and they were physically hurt in front of an officer? Would an officer then not intervene? I'm going to hang up, and I thank you very much both for addressing this. Thanks very much, Tom. Yeah, and a very relevant question. In fact, the briefing from Inspector Hamilton to the group of 30 officers was, if it's property damage, that one that is one thing. If you have immediate risk to life or safety, that's another. And we know that also from the courts. You're not talking about a damaged piece of a property. You're now talking about somebody's life. 
that becomes a different criteria. And when we have uh, innocent people, uh, and we've seen it, you know, we will have officers intervene, often at their own risk. Uh, we've had struggles and fights and all the rest of the stuff. Uh, that comes with the turf. And I think probably, again, Inspector uh, Hamilton said it quite nicely was, our intent was to engage this crowd of people. And if we got um, these type of interaction, it was game on. So, you know, that's, I think, the public expectation, why they equip us, why we do the job we do. Uh, but again, this is all in hindsight about what happened. And to your point, if somebody's physical life is at danger, that becomes a decision for the officer. And you have to be able to articulate why uh, you intervened. If you end up, you know, hurting or breaking somebody's arm or killing them, you have to articulate that somebody's was either their life was at risk or yours. You know, and again, I get this and, and I'm, I'm one of these people who wanted to see these people all arrested that night and thrown in jail for what they did. Uh, and I'm hoping there are going to be arrests. I'm pretty confident at some point, Chief, there are will be. But I also understand that this is reality. This is not, like I mentioned earlier, a TV show where cops are going to go busting in there and firing away or using kung fu or whatever it is to try to, to get these guys down. Uh, and as soon as I heard about this, about, okay, an officer going in where there are more perpetrators than there are officers, the, the picture that came immediately to mind was the, the death of Cameron McMurrick that happened back in the 1960s here in Hamilton. And it was up on Hamilton Mountain, just off Crockett Street uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and Upper Sherman. Yep. And that was a, a situation where the officer went where there were more bad guys and, there were, and his gun was taken away and he was killed. That's correct. Uh, and, and that's what you want to avoid in situations like this. Uh, the officer that got beaned by a rock obviously is going to make a determination what they want to do about this. Uh, public safety was not at, at risk here. The officer, I guess, has to make that call as to whether or not his life was in danger at that particular time. And, and I, you know, you have to talk to the officer to make that determination. But I'm, I'm just cautioning people not to expect this massive thing where cops are simply going to go in there and, and you know, I'll, I'll take on all 30 of you. That doesn't happen in real life, nor should it. Yeah, you know, maybe in the movies, like you say, uh, but in reality, and it can be a bar fight, it can be uh, other circumstances, it can be a crowd at a, at a football game, uh, those points about being outnumbered, and you know, I, I said it at the, at the Lock Street meeting, uh, I had a use of force instructor years back say, you know, when you go to calls, you know, do you consider you know, there's going to be a firearm present? You think, well, not every call, it could be domestic, and he said, of course it is, because you're bringing one. And then that becomes an issue of, are you in control of the firearm and are you conscious and able to defend yourself? So when you place yourself in a situation where the possibility of that outcome is that, the other thing with these people garbed in black with fireworks, with smoke bombs, you also don't know what else they have. It could be secreted weapons, it could be knives, it could be firearms. You just have to be conscious. I, I got 60 seconds left here. And I, my producer's waving at me already. But in 60 seconds, though, Chief, <coughs> what are next steps? What are police doing about this to ensure that this doesn't happen again? And what are they doing to try to chase these perpetrators? Yeah, the next steps are obviously, and uh, we made an appeal to those who may have been present with that group who really didn't know it was going to escalate to that. You know, those who had eggs or those who really didn't pick up rocks. Uh, they have a responsibility, in my view, uh, to not support that conduct. Uh, we know people know things. Uh, give us a call. You have Crime Stoppers if you want to remain anonymous. Um, if you see things in future, uh, again, I'm talking as a police officer, I believe you have a legal and moral responsibility. Tell us. And uh, we are getting excellent cooperation, both with homeowners, those with videos, those who tape this. We know everybody's got a cell phone. Please contact us. It's Officer Jamie Simpson. And we're more than happy to take the information that you have, including, let's say, a car that you didn't think belonged, could be out of town, might not be. 
give us a license plate. We're happy to follow it up. By the way, Crime Stoppers is anonymous. Uh, they don't have call display. They don't have anything else, so you can be totally anonymous. Uh, we're right out of time. Thanks. Uh, I, my apologies to those calls we did not get to, but uh, this is very important that uh, I think we cover some ground on this. And thanks again, Chief, for being here today. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.